Welcome in to Frogs Insider, the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Network TCU podcast. That is a mouthful, uh, but we nailed it. We nailed it in nailed. episode six. Absolutely it. crushed it. I'm Jamie Plunkett. She is Melissa Trebowasser. We are your hosts for Frogs Insider. Very excited to be back with you all again. Thank you, by the way, to everybody that has subscribed and listened to the show. Thank you to everybody that has subscribed to the Patreon, patreon.com at slash frogs insider uh, and read the content there. Three bucks a month gets you all of the inside information you need to cover uh, to keep up with TCU sports. And we're very happy to be uh, a part of this thing. We say that at the top of every show and we mean it, I think, every time we say it. So, yeah, I, I, would, I would say it's pretty genuine. Yeah, it's, 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 like- it's extremely genuine. Yeah. Um, but we got a great show ahead of you guys. We obviously missed last week because sometimes life happens and mm-hmm. that's just a thing, but we are going to be breaking down all of the horn frogs that went in the NFL draft, including those guys that got UDFA contracts, as well as rookie minicamp invites. We're going to be talking about uh, a lot of the activity that's been happening in the transfer portal for the horn frogs over the last couple of weeks, both with football and with basketball, because hoops is still not done building out their roster for next year either, but we're going to start today Melissa, with a little bit of baseball talk. We're recording this as we normally do on Sunday. Uh, I just got back from Lupton Stadium a couple hours ago um, where TCU took down Cal State Fullerton, ranked Cal State Fullerton 6-1 to to win the series. Their first weekend series win since they took two of three from Oklahoma State all the way back at the beginning of April. Um, And they've now won four of their last five games it seems like as the season's coming to a close here that baseball is starting to figure it out a little bit I I mean I think you hope so and with the young roster you know we've talked ad nauseum about the young guys especially the freshmen that are in key positions and it's kind of that balancing act of you know by this point in the season they don't get to be freshmen anymore but also by this point in the season they've played a lot more baseball than they ever have in their entire Mm -hmm. lives by May and so you worry about the the physical and the mental fatigue, but then you also see the experience. Like, you know, Anthony Silva today made one of the most, you know, smart heads up plays you're going to see a freshman make and letting an infield pop up, drop to the ground to get the lead runner at second instead of catching it and having that, you know, having a runner in scoring position. And so you see these players starting to make those adjustments. And um, you see guys like Carson Bowen, who continues, he, you know, he had hit a little bit of a rough Sunday, but, you know, he's, he's timely hitting, had a great weekend at the plate. Um, you know, Cole Klecker had a great couple of innings Sunday afternoon. So you're seeing these young guys really look like veterans, but then you also wonder physically how they're holding up at this point, um, you know, kind of mentally if they've hit that wall a little bit. And so, um, you know, the time is kind of running out for TCU baseball to make a playoff push, but you like to see them playing a little with a little bit more consistency. Um, even in the last Friday night, you know, it was a two to one loss. They they were right in it. They had some good at bats. They just couldn't quite push the run across. So a lot of positives take from the weekend, but you wonder if there's enough time to to kind of get themselves an invite into the field and how much how well they're going to have to perform at the Big 12 tournament in order to do so. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely where kind of the the next questions lie for this for this team this season. I will say, you know, we texted during the game about Cole Klecker only going two innings, thirty seven pitches before uh, conceding to, or I guess giving way to Cam Brown, who pitched probably his best outing of the last mm-hmm. you know two or three weeks, four weeks, um, which was really good to see. 
Uh, and he, we got to talk to him post game as well. He said he was just trying to simplify things, which I think is always good for athletes when they feel maybe a little overwhelmed is just to get back to the basics. But uh, with Klecker, you know, Kirk talked about him after the game uh, and said, this is the most innings he's ever pitched in a year in his career. So kind of yeah. to your point, um, they are trying to do a little bit of load management with him right now because his arm is dragging a little bit. Uh, he told Kirk that he could probably give him one more inning, but at that point, Sarlos made, I think, the smart decision, the, yeah. the, the cautious decision to just go to Cam Brown in the third inning. And Cam performed really, really well today. Um, only conceded one run, but it was an unearned run on the throwing error uh, and, and worked his way out of a couple of other jams. Still still had a, a couple walks, but other than that, uh, was locating his fastball well, was was getting swing, uh, swings and misses with his slider uh, and, and looked pretty good. So you, you're, you're right. I think there is a little bit of fatigue for some of these guys. Um, and, you know, part of the challenge too, I think, as we've seen over the last week or so, the pitching really kind of step up and, and get mm-hmm. back to where it was in the early season is that they're missing a couple of arms right now that they were hoping to, to rely on at this point of the year. And so there's that challenge of not having everyone healthy when it comes to bullpen guys. And even some of the guys that have been in the starting rotation recently, uh, and then you also have some guys that are back and healthy again, like Cohen Fieser and Luke Savage, who, you know, Sarlos spoke to them after the game saying that they just don't, their arms just don't bounce back well after an appearance, which means yeah. that you're really not going to be likely to get them twice in one weekend. And so you've got to get them out there and just hope that you can get as much out of them as you can for their one appearance. Cause once they're out there, they're done for the weekend. So well, a little bit gonna... of, a little bit of that management and that challenge, yeah. it's, it's good to get some of that behind the scenes. I think about kind of what his thought process is and how he's trying to protect some of these young arms, because we're, we're moving into an era of baseball, not just at the college level, but at the, the high school level and the major league baseball level as well, where guys just aren't throwing as many innings as they used to. And guys are having procedures on their arms much more frequently than they used to. And so the more you can protect a kid in college, the longer, uh, or I guess the better chance they have of having a long professional career. And so I I do think that's, that's the wise and and the the kind of the pertinent move for, for the head coach and the pitching coach of TCU to say, first things first, we're going to protect these kids and we're going to protect their arms. Um, even if that makes his life a little bit more challenging, you know, when he's trying to figure out who's going to win. Well, I think it's an apropos conversation to have at this point, too. When you think about Matt Perk, who was announced as an inductee into the Block T Association Hall of Fame today and throughout the first pitch, um, you know, that's a guy who famously um, his handling after an injury was uh, pretty controversial. And many people think that, you know, impacted his professional career. Um, certainly one of those talented throwers of the baseball that TC has ever had, but a guy who who never really uh, was able to, to see that materialize at the next level, probably due to the injury. Um, and, you know, I, I can't speak behind the scenes back then of how that was handled, if it was handled incorrectly or correctly, but, you know, he was not, he was not the same guy um, afterwards. And so yet, like you said, it's interesting to see baseball kind of following the lead of the NBA with the load management and having to make more of those decisions at different points of the season and at crucial points of the season that we've seen in the past. Um, and when you look ahead to the big 12 tournament and thinking that, TCU is is likely, I mean, hopefully won't have to play on day one, but it's going to have to have four straight days of games potentially to make the the regional, um, make a regional appearance, get invited to a regional. And how are you going to balance these guys who now can no longer pitch two days in a row or even two, two times within a three-day period? Um, and how much can you expect out of your young freshman pitchers 
at that point in the season. Um, you know, one of the things I thought was really interesting on the the broadcast, um, different position, but kind of speaks to the same uh, thought process, not going just through the coach's head, but the players is Chuck Lamandola brought up the fact that Carson Bowen was committed to to playing in one of the summer leagues, but at this point was leaning more towards staying in Fort Worth, working with Zach DeCant and just kind of saying, I didn't expect to be catching this much as a true freshman. That was not, and nobody did everybody, you know, Curtis Byrne had the back issue and, and then Carson got in there and was great at the plate behind the plate. And uh, I mean, thrown out a ton of attempting, uh, you know, base dealers. So that guy, you know, 18, 19 years old saying, I don't need to play more baseball. I need to get ready to play more baseball. I thought was a really interesting uh, decision-making process. And I think kind of speaks towards mentally uh, the decision-making process for not just the player, not just the coaches, but the players and their families as well. Yeah. It's, it's really, you know, it, it is an interesting decision because these kids need some of these kids need that summer league exposure mm -hmm. uh, that they would, that they wouldn't maybe normally get during the college baseball season. Uh, but for a guy like Carson, who, like you said, unexpectedly found himself as, you know, the guy behind the plate for the bulk of the season. Um, now, Curtis Brun has had a really good last 11 games or so. Yeah. He's hitting about 400 over those games. Yeah. He had another big uh, two RBI day today. He went two for three from the plate, had a really good day um, in that DH role. Uh, which is huge which for this, been a huge absolutely hole, huge, huge for this team. For this program. Um, really good to see um, from him. Uh, and, and just as a side note too, I think he's handled this transition out mm -hmm. of being the everyday catcher really, really well. For uh, sure. Which is just, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a comment to his character and, yeah. and the kind it's of leader dude. that he is for this team. Yeah, but, great guy. Um, but you're right. You know, I think, I think we're, the whole sport is changing uh, and it's, it's changing in a way that is good for players, I think, because they're have the, they have the potential for longer careers, but it's also becomes more challenging for guys at this level to say, I've put enough on tape for yeah. professional ranks to have a really good understanding of what kind of player I could be for them. And so you've got to find that balance, not only as a player, but as a head coach. And, and when you guys are making all of these decisions about what your guys are going to do during the summer and who's going to be around, uh, you know, it's people think about coaching and they think about in the season, but really um, it, it's becoming even more and more of a, a, an obsessive full-time job for, for some of these yeah. guys who have to have to be thinking around the clock every single day of the year about how they're going to get the most out of their players and how they're going to do the most right by their players as well. And, and how they're going to keep their teams together. And, you know, one thing I'm going to be really interested in, you know, we've talked about kind of the stuff going on on the field, the things that are going on off the field. Um, you throw the transfer portal into a sport like baseball, which is already, you know, up against so many things with scholarship limits. And, and there's been a lot of new legislation that's come in that should make things better going forward. But you know, you look at a young team like this, a team that's that's quote unquote underperformed, you worry about being able to bring that young nucleus back um, and that there's going to be competition at some positions. You know, you look at maybe a guy like like, you know, Curtis Byrne and Carson Bowen, you know, are both of those guys going to want to return in the fall and be a part of the program? I think that to me, like this is the point now where you think the earlier this season ends the more you might see guys leave and, and that you wonder how much of this young talent and how many of these, these freshmen um, and sophomores that you've brought in over the last year, two years will elect to stay and try to rebuild this program back up to its expectation or how many guys are going to go looking for greener pastures mm -hmm. after a season where maybe it wasn't as satisfying as they expected. You know, I think in this day and age for college baseball transfers are inevitable, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw that even after, 
a big 12 regular season championship and, and making it to the regional final in, in college station, right? Like there were guys who, you know, for whatever reason, maybe it was playing time, maybe it was fit, whatever decided that they were going to find their, their way elsewhere. Uh, and that's going to happen after this yeah. year too. I'm sure of it. And now I don't know that any of those big name guys are going to go, but there, there's always going to be kind of, there are going to be one or two kids at the very least who are probably looking at other pastures and saying that, that it's a little bit greener over there, but TCU is going to be doing the same thing with the transfer portal where yeah. they're looking for ways that they can improve uh, mainly probably in the starting rotation and in the bullpen, right? How are they going to be able to maybe improve defensively a little bit? How are they going to be able, who are they going to be able to bring in that, that could compete and, and contribute to getting TCU back to where people are, are used to seeing TCU as far as, you know, getting into the playoffs, competing for championships and, and fighting for you know, fighting to be one of those last eight teams standing in Omaha. So it goes both ways, right? The team is going to be looking to to do what's best for it, uh, while players are going to be looking to do what's best for them, and and that kind of, um, you know, uh, um, the I've just the word has just escaped me, but that kind of transition in and out of a program yeah. is is uh, attrition. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of normal at this point, um, more so in baseball, I think, than other sports, simply because a lot of these kids don't have full scholarships either. Yeah. Right. And TCU is not exactly an inexpensive school. Um, and so there, there are layers to the challenge of, of roster management, I think, for baseball that we don't see necessarily in some of the other sports at this level. Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's hard to justify paying, you know, 30, 40 grand a year, um, you know, to play baseball at TCU and not getting to play or not having the role that you anticipated having. So, um, you know, I think that's that's just another layer, like you said, of what it takes to coach at this level now, especially in college baseball, on top of all of the offseason summer, it's it's a, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a big role. It's a big job. Um, Kirk Sarloose, I, I think we'll get this thing turned back around pretty quickly. And, you know, obviously the season is not done yet. Mm -hmm. um, and the frogs have, um, you know, an opportunity to, to have a big series win and, and maybe to get a sweep this weekend with Baylor, no midweek game due to finals. Um, and so they'll get some much needed rest, hopefully get some guys fresh and, and kind of get some of those nicks and, and dings healed up here ahead of Friday night. Jamie, what do you see the path being for TCU to get invited to a regional? Is there a way that makes sense? Um, are they going to have to win the Big 12 tournament or potentially make the final game in order to get that invite? Or have they historically done enough to where they might get the benefit of, of the doubt over a team that's kind of close to them on, on paper? Those are good questions. I think to kind of get start start with their path in, I think that you know, they don't necessarily have to run the table over these last seven games, nor do they have to win the Big 12 tournament, I think, to find their way in. I do think, though, when you look at the last end of the regular season and the tournament combined, they probably need to find seven or eight wins. Uh, you know, so say they go five and two down the stretch uh, in the regular season and they win a couple games in the Big 12 tournament. I think that's going to put them kind of where they need to be to get that tournament phone call. Um, and, and to the second question, does, I do think that TCU's brand when it comes to baseball will be advantageous for them when you consider the fact that they are, you know, if not one of the blue bloods in this, in this sport on the cusp of being one of the blue bloods in this sport based on their last, you know, 10, 15 years of play. Um, and so I, I do think that there's an opportunity to get the benefit of the doubt there. But I also think that, you know, what they've put on paper this year uh, matters. And, you know, they, right now they're sitting at eight and 10 in the big 12, seventh in the conference. 
uh, a conference that probably will not get as many bids as it normally gets this year. Um, And they're going to be competing for an at-large spot against some of these SEC teams that have had really impressive, you know, late Aprils and early Mays. I'm thinking, you know, Texas A&M, you know, Georgia just went on the road and, or Georgia just beat, you know, a ranked Tennessee team in, in a weekend series. Um, A&M just beat Florida, right? Kentucky just swept South Carolina. And so you're going to be competing for these at-large bids with teams who are putting it together really well as of late. And if you kind of stumble in, you're probably not going to get the benefit of the doubt like you're hoping. So I would say, you know, if they go at least five and two, maybe six and one over these last two weekends uh, with that uh, midweek game against Texas State next week, I think you set yourself up really well to not have to win the Big 12 tournament. But I think, you know, might as well just take care of it and win the Big 12 tournament, right? I mean, yeah. this seem at the because at the end of the day, I, I say that somewhat jokingly, but at the end of the day, we've seen the talent that this, this team has. And you have to imagine that in a tournament style, the bats are going to be there and they're going to be able to compete. And they've got arms if they can get the starts that they need from some of these guys they have really, really talented arms that could get them where they want to go. Um, But, you know, they got to take this next week where they do have Monday and Tuesday off. They're taking finals, they're resting, they're hitting the weights a little bit. They're doing their rehab. Uh, They got to get right physically and and they got to take care of business, especially against Baylor, right? Baylor's sitting there dead last in the conference. You got to win. You got to win two, if not all three of those games this weekend, because that's at Lupton. And then, you know, you take two or three from a Kansas State team that's sitting third in the conference right now, traveling up to Manhattan to close out the season. That's going to be a really kind of good benchmark for you. And that's going to be a really good thing to put on paper for the folks who are making those decisions come tournament time. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any way TCU is an at-large team besides winning the Big 12 tournament if they don't win both of those series. Like, I, yeah. I think that I, I don't think you can get swept you know, in Manhattan, maybe if you go one and two, maybe you're on the cusp, but then you probably need to win at least two games, um, you know, it, it, uh, uh, in the Big 12 tournament in order to make it. it it's going to be interesting. I mean, this is obviously going to be a team that's probably a three seed in a regional, mm-hmm. maybe a two. Um, they're going to have to go on the road, um, you know, which is to be expected. They haven't necessarily played great at home their last two times hosting a regional. So maybe having a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. Um, is just what this team needs to kind of propel them into to performing at a high level in the postseason. We haven't we haven't seen them be underdogs in a while, so it, it yeah. might be that might be a good thing for the program. Um, but yeah, like you said, the talent is certainly there. If they can get three consecutive quality starts, which is something that has not happened very often this season, then you know I think that that they do have two winnable weekends ahead of them um, and can certainly do some damage when they uh, take over the ballpark, uh, not called the ballpark in Arlington. I can't even remember what the globe life field, baby. Let's globe go. life field. Thank you. When they take over globe life field here um, towards the end of May, um, talking about the end of May, but we have blown right past the end of April when the NFL draft was held. Mm-hmm. Um, TCU had an unbelievable draft weekend. Um, if you're Sunny Dykes, you cannot, could not possibly be happier with the way that things went. Um, for your program. It's a great positive boost. Um, every tweet that's talked about, you know, the most teams with the most uh, drafted players, teams with the highest percentage of quality draft picks. I mean, TCU is in the top 10 um, and oftentimes higher than that. And pretty much every metric that you evaluate collegiate success equating to draftable players, um, just an 
great weekend for the Horn Frogs. They are sending basically their entire team back to Southern California, um, the scene of the crime back in January, but with a bunch of guys headed to the Rams and the Chargers, a lot of teammates reuniting at the next level, um, especially down um, with the with the Chargers and those, like we're all going to have to buy three baby blues. Like it's, <laughs> it's the wallet taking another hit. Um, the two home field releases, national championship gear, Fiesta Bowl winning gear. And now, you know, we got to buy all these, all these NFL jerseys too. It's been rough to be a TCU fan. Yeah, it's um, tough. The yeah, wallet, the wallet's never stopped. The wallet and, has been hurting. Right. Yeah. It's, it's getting after it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the highlights um from the NFL draft. Obviously, you know, Quentin Johnston, I think leading up to did not get invited to the live draft event. Uh Will Evis did, and that didn't work out so well for him. But um he was a guy who for some reason there's always one elite player that seems to drop in the couple weeks leading up to the draft for no reason other than somebody falls in love with somebody else. And that seemed to be kind of what was happening with QJ. He ends up going in the first round to the Los Angeles chargers at number 21, 21st overall. How do you think that that fit works out for QJ at the next level? Well, I think it's a really fun fit for, for Quentin simply because you, you go into a system where, you know, Cowboys fans know that charger system really well because mm-hmm. Kellen Moore is the offensive coordinator there now. And they know that he loves to throw the football. He loves to get creative with how he gets guys the ball. Um, and when you're talking about a receiving core that also includes Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and now Quentin's teammate, Darius Davis, uh, you know, that's a really fun uh, unit for Kellen Moore to kind of play with, not to mention, you know, you've got Austin Eckler in that backfield as well, um, tearing things up a little bit. Maybe. So he's maybe. Uh, yeah, he's requested yeah. a trade. We'll see. <laughs> maybe we'll see, but uh, either way, you know, I think that that's going to be a really fun opportunity for Quentin to, to not have to be the number one guy right out of the gate um, and to kind of make his adjustments well at the NFL level. I think for, for TC receivers in the past, you know, when you think about Josh Doxson going to Washington or Jalen Rager going to Philadelphia, the expectations there for those first round picks as wide receivers were, Oh, you've got to come in and beat the dude right away. And they might, you know, based on Josh's injury history, some of the issues with Rager as far as dropping passes was concerned, you know, uh, they the expectations maybe were too great for them right out of out of the gate. Uh, whereas with Quentin, he's going to have time to adjust. He's going to be able to learn from one of the best big wide receivers in the in the league in Mike Williams. He's going to learn more about the intricacies of route running and pass catching from a guy who's been doing such a good job of it like Keenan Allen has for so long. Um and I think that there's uh, that's going to benefit him in the long run too. Um, you know, I think the knock on him was hands and, yeah. and catching passes, and so I, I think he's he's going to be able to work through some of those things. Whereas if he had been put in another situation, that might not have been the case. He was going to be thrust into the front and center no matter what right away. So well, very pumped other- for him. I think that's a great great opportunity for him to get to get some good get, get learning in before before the season starts. The other thing that he gets that Jalen Rager, Josh Doxson didn't get is he's definitely going to the best quarterback that any first round TC wide receiver has ever true uh, situationally. Uh, Justin Herbert, you know, is, is they call him kind of the social media quarterback because, you know, every game he makes two throws that you're like, how the heck did he did this? Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, it hasn't, hasn't necessarily kind of crested the mountain, so to speak, and, um, you know, proven that he is an elite winner as well as an elite thrower of the football. But I think with Kellen Moore, I think with with the other offensive pieces around him, um, you know, I, I think that that defense is, is pretty solid, too, for the Chargers, that, that QJ has a chance to be, um, like you said, doesn't have to be the number one guy, but he's going to be an impact player in that offense. And, and I think a, a great bailout piece for, for Justin 
Herbert as well. Um, and then getting to team up with Darius Davis, who went in the fourth round, um, who's, who I think I think has a great shot to not just make that team, but to be a contributor, um, even if it's just on special teams as a rookie. And then, of course, the great bonus to all of this is we were all wondering what was going to happen with Max, if Max was going to hear his name called, um, and he gets drafted in the seventh round also to the Chargers, um, mm-hmm. which I think, again, is a great situation for him. Um, you know, he definitely has a chance to to catch on, um, you know, in a, a QB2 or QB3 role there, I think, initially, um, and and learn from another great quarterback and learn from an offensive coordinator who um, was a similar player to him, you know, when he was a collegiate player, a guy that's a little bit undersized and a little bit undervalued for what he could do, um, but but has great athleticism and can certainly uh, cause cause some problems for, for defenses. So um, that uh, LA is about to be TCU Southwest, which it already has been with the amount of students that come from that region. Um, but really cool to see all three of those guys reunited um, and, and play in their home games at SoFi Stadium alongside two other TCU players. Um, I, I don't want to say I was surprised um, because we heard a lot of things about Steve Avila um, leading up to the actual draft post combine and his interviews. We knew he'd impress anybody that he had a chance to talk to, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, but I believe he was the first interior lineman drafted period. Um, And that was to be a little bit surprising. Maybe that's unfair. Me not knowing what I'm talking about, but uh, it was awesome to see him pick so highly in the second round um, and to be the first interior offensive lineman drafted. What a great opportunity he has with the Rams. I, I think another just ex- outstanding fit. Yeah, he gets to pair up with former Frog Joseph Noteboom on the left side of that Rams offensive line and uh, you know get to do a little Horn Frog magic out in L.A. It's going to be fun to see. I think with Steve, the big thing was you know just how consistent he was as a performer and some of the things that he could do athletically that he put on tape uh, at TCU this final season uh, that was really really impressive to NFL teams I know the Dallas Cowboys were looking pretty hard at even taking him at 26 Mm -hmm. if things had changed and shifted a little bit differently with how the how the first round played out uh, or maybe trading back and taking him a little bit later in the first round Um, and you know I think the other guy who was maybe competing to be the first interior offensive lineman off the board was Cyrus O'Torrance, the kid from Florida, who was another. I think he was taking maybe one or two picks after Steve, so they kind of went back to back there. But um, you know, this is a this is a really a good kid going to a good program, uh, and he's going to learn from one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, and and Sean McVay. So uh, you know, having an opportunity to do that, having an opportunity to learn from. Uh, you know, a quarterback like Matt Stafford, who has, you know, had great impact. He's never had yeah. very good offensive lines. Yeah. Never really did a Detroit had a couple better offensive lines at, uh, at in LA, uh, you know, um, but uh, I think it's going to be really, uh, that's another, just one of those situational things where I think it's a really good spot for Steve to land uh, and super, super excited for him. My goal, and I tweeted this out. I need to, I need to send it to the guys. I would love to see Quentin Darius, Max, Steve and Trey Hodges Tomlinson, who also got drafted by the Rams buy one big mansion and just live in Los Angeles <laughs> entourage style. Yes. And just, uh, just film that, make a Netflix special out of it. Cause I think that would be a good watch would stream. Uh, I would, I would subscribe to a streaming yeah. service exclusively for that. 100%. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's talk about Travis Hodges Tomlinson because you know, it's, it's very rare that you see a Thorpe award winner, um, you know, fall kind of to to this point in the draft. But obviously the questions about his size, the senior bowl didn't invite him. I mean, there were so many things working against him. Um, I, I wanted to go away from the fit 
but you know, somebody, you know, like we've both covered Travius for so long. I mean, I feel like we've known this kid his whole life in some ways. Um, you know, he's been a part of the TCU family being, um, you know, the nephew of Lenany and Tomlinson. How did you feel when you heard his name get called in that sixth round and that you learned he was also going to be going to the Rams and to LA? I was stoked for him. I mean, he's such a good guy, right? I mean, he's given everything he could possibly give to TCU. He he did everything the right way. He worked his backside off every offseason. Uh, this is something that he really, really wants. And, you know, he said all along that, you know, he he's, you know, he's one of those kids that is in that unique position of having a family member who's done it at the highest level before, yeah. right? I mean, not everybody has an uncle who's in the NFL Hall of Fame, but uh, he has always had the same mindset of my uncle's career was awesome. I'm trying to forge my own, my own path yeah. here. And so I think that, seeing a, a relative do it at the highest level like LT did and then wanting that for himself has really motivated him to do things the right way throughout high school, throughout college, this whole spring. I mean, we've seen nothing but incredible content around all of the stuff that he's doing to get ready for all of this. Um, the reality is five, seven quarterbacks don't really exist in the NFL. Yeah. And so if he wants to continue to carve out that path for himself, it's going to be all about overcoming the physical limitations simply from his height, right? He's a freak. He can jump incredibly high. He's fast. He's got great hands. He's got good footwork, loose hips, all this stuff that you want in a really good corner. You just got to overcome being five, seven now. And yeah. if anybody can do it, I think it's, it's Trey just because he's going to work as hard as anybody else. To, to do that and to do it well. So I was, I was pumped for him. I was really excited to see him get taken. Uh, I think they, they had their little watch party, their family watch party over at LT's house. Um, and yeah, it was great. I mean, it's always good to see a horn frog get drafted. And, and, and for a guy who's done so much for TCU, uh, it's, it's really cool to see him go to the league. Yeah. And, and one of the best interviews, uh, the TCU, oh like gosh, recent yeah. TCU history, just, just, yeah, I, I, I feel the exact same way. My um, favorite, my favorite thing about Trey is consistently being asked the question by Brian Estridge. Have you ever, have you ever committed pass interference <laughs> and the, the kind of the sly smile and the nope, <laughs> every single time, never, never, never committed a PI. Um, other guys that got drafted, Kendra Miller going to the Saints in the third round. Um, I, I think that, you know, we see is, is Alvin Kamara gets a little bit older and has started to show some wear and tear, had some injury issues. Um, just a great one-two punch now. Kendra, I think, will have an opportunity to play a large role in that offense. Um, it's going to mm -hmm. be a great scenario if they find anybody that can consistently start at quarterback. No offense to Andy Dalton, but he didn't quite quite get the job done uh, last year. Neither did Jameis Winston. Um so, you know, I, I think that's a great situation for him. Another really creative offensive scheme. Uh, Dylan Horton going in the fourth round, I think surprised a lot of people. And when you look at the Houston Texans and who they just recently installed um, as their head coach with a very defensive minded, um, uh, uh, I just completely blanked on his name, even though he was with the 49ers as the D coordinator. And now I just cannot remember it these things happen it's been a long uh a long week um but D I D'Amico Ryan yes thank you D'Amico yeah. Ryan's I, I knew that somewhere in the recesses of my brain but I yeah, seeing D'Amico Ryan's serving as the DC like going over and wanting to rebuild that franchise on that side of the ball um a little bit surprising I don't think I had Dylan Horton in the fourth round on my board but could not be happier for him and think he's got a great shot to be an impact player there and then D Winter's as a 49er fan could not be more fired up to see him uh, get drafted by San Francisco. Um, I, I mean that when you look at that defense and that linebacker core, 
what a great scenario for him to land in. You talked about Quentin Johnston and, and who he's going to learn from his veteran ride receivers with the Chargers. Uh, Winters is yeah. in the same situation in San Francisco. Um, this is, I think that he'll be a kid that absolutely stars on special teams for a year or two, but with the injury history of, of some of those linebackers in San Fran, I think he's got a chance to, to be an important part of that rotation and, and to play a lot of meaningful snaps uh, for a team that's got really high expectations after, after last season. Yeah, I was I was super pumped to see Horton go to the Texans. I think, you know, he's going to have an opportunity to learn from uh, an incredible edge rusher in uh, Jerry Hughes, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, with Hughes being down there in the Texans now, uh, that's another older Horn Frog that can take a younger guy under his wings and kind of learn, uh, you know, teach him some of the tips uh, and tricks of the trade uh, and, and help Dylan, who I think, you know, when you think about Dylan Horton, who was a safety coming out of high school, yeah was a linebacker at New Mexico and then moved down another, another row to, to defensive end at TCU. He's one of those guys where his raw athleticism has always kind of been the thing he's relied on to get him by. And then this year he really started to refine some of his actual skills at defensive end. You know, he had four sacks against Michigan in that Fiesta bowl, which I know boosted the heck out of his draft oh, stock. Yeah. He, he tested really, really well at pro day. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think he's definitely one of those guys who could be, you know, you look back on things. Oh, yeah, he's one of those mid-round picks who had, you know, eight, nine, ten-year career in the league yeah. just because he was a really good role player. I mean, you don't have to be J.J. Watt to, yeah. to survive in this league for a long time. Um, you can be Jerry Hughes, right? And you can be, um, you know, Hawthorne, the linebacker from, yeah. from TCU, who had a 12-year career in the league, mostly with the Bills, right? So... I, I I love the pick from the Texans. I, I think that's a great fit for him. Uh, and, and I think he's going to do really well in the league. I really do. Yeah, I think so too. I definitely a guy that, you know, has only begun to scratch the surface of what he's capable of from that position um, at, as a, as a pass true pass rusher. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, if the, the Texans are willing to give him some time, um, you know, I think in two or three years, you could be looking at a guy who, you know, is starting games or, or at least, you know, making an impact regularly on that side of the ball. Um, you know, the, the drafted guys obviously have the best shot to make a team and stick on a roster, but um, a handful of guys uh, were invited to mini camps, rookie mini camps, um, or uh, signed as undrafted free agents. Um, Amari DeMarcado goes to the Cardinals, Alana Lee to the Minnesota Vikings, Tay Barber to the Bucks, Gunnar Henderson to the New Orleans Saints, and Luol Ugok to the New York Giants and also was drafted by the USFL as an early round draft pick. Of yes. those five guys... Which do you think have the best opportunity to be on an NFL roster on opening weekend? Ooh, I don't know these rosters terribly well. I'll be completely honest with you. Um, I would be very excited to see if Amari Di Mercado can catch on mm-hmm. in Arizona. Um, they have been one of the more running back by committee teams mm-hmm. over the last few years. They've been relying on some guys that are a little bit older, have some more experience. Um, but I think with Imar- with, with Amari's skill set, his ability to run between the tackles, to, to take a hit and keep his feet underneath him, and also to block in the pass blocking game. I mean, his pass protection, we've talked about it for years. He was the best pass blocking running back on TCU's roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that will help him maybe catch on in Arizona. Uh, you know, first year head coach. They're doing a lot more to try and protect Kyler Murray and keep him upright, right? Mm-hmm. He was begging them to draft an offensive lineman and they took Paris Campbell, right? And so they're starting to listen to him and maybe getting yeah. a running back in there who's also good in, in the pass protection area um, will boost his stock once he gets to 
camp for the Cardinals as well. I'm also yeah. just, I'm so psyched for Gunnar Henderson to have yeah. an invite to the Saints rookie mini camp. He, he hurt his hamstring at pro day, pro day. Uh, and I, I thought that was the end of it for him. Honestly. I mean, just, and he was flying in that 42, he was going to have the best 40 time of the day. Um, if, if he didn't come up a little lame on his second attempt there. Um, so I'm very, very hopeful for him. Uh, cause I think that he's one of those guys who just will not be denied when yeah. it comes to, if you give him an inch, he's going to take a mile, uh, as far as just opportunities are concerned. I and mean, we saw him do that at TCU and, and hopefully the saints will be the same thing. Yeah. I fully expect him to be playing some level of professional football mm-hmm. this next year. I, I don't know if he'll, you know, if he'll make it all the way through an NFL to an NFL roster, but I would be shocked if he's not on an NFL team sometime in the next three years. And if he doesn't make a living playing football at some level for at least a couple. Um, I also think Tay Barber going to the bucks is a great situation. I mean, that is, mm-hmm. you know, even when they had Tom Brady, that was a, they really struggled with the wide receiver position last year. He's such a reliable target. You're going to be looking at a not Tom Brady quarterback in the fall. And so um, I think he's got a great shot uh, just with his ability to run routes, his deceptive speed. Um, and he's just such a great catcher of the football. Like I, I think his hands are really, really good for the most part. And so um, I'd be, I would not be surprised at all if he also was on an NFL roster come, come week one. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for all these guys to have yeah. the opportunity, right? I mean, 13 horn frogs have an opportunity cool. to earn a, to earn a living doing, doing the thing that they love to do. And yeah. that's, that's always it's a awesome. really cool thing. Um, but you know, it's, it's not just about the frogs that are leaving and, and going to play the professional ranks, Melissa, we've got a lot of new names that are coming into the program, mm-hmm. uh, as transfers over the last few weeks in the transfer portal that are going to help TCU football try and recreate some of the success that they had in 2022 and in this year. Uh, you know, I think one of the biggest ones, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk about four of these guys uh, is Colton Deary, the offensive mm-hmm. lineman from Maryland who played 10 games, started two for the Terps this past year as a true freshman comes in with three years remaining. Uh, and uh, I think is going to be able to help address some of the concerns that, that TCU has as far as their interior offensive line is concerned this upcoming season, they need bodies, right? I mean, you lose three guys on your interior line last year. You also lost Noah Boltikoff and Altrick Barlow to the transfer portal this offseason. Bar- uh, Boltikoff is already committed to Indiana. Um, Barlow is still looking for a home, but you know, so that's that's five interior offensive linemen. That's a lot of depth, um, yeah. and so so getting Deary in was absolutely huge. Uh, absolutely huge for AJ Ricker and, and the rest of this coaching staff to, to get um, a big body who's capable, who has some starting experience as a young player with a lot of time left to play and grow. That to me is the most exciting part. I mean, this, you know, this is a dude who's like six, four, almost 300 pounds, but the fact that he has three seasons left to play. Um, I, I mean, you, you can't just on the offensive line, especially it's really hard just to plug and play. Like we saw that work really, really well with Alana Lee this past year, but it's rare that, you know, kind of a, a one-year rental is going to be able to transform a unit that that relies so much on chemistry mm-hmm. and being able to play together. So bringing in a, a guy who, you know, who was a highly thought of prospect coming out of high school, um, who started a lot of games and then saying he's got three more years to play at TCU and to really develop into something alongside the rest of that unit, I think is really, really exciting. And um, you know, it's the thing we've talked about over and over again, the biggest question mark going into the fall. And we feel like this is a broken record. We say it every year, but it's that offensive line. Mm-hmm. It was the biggest surprise. I think last year, the biggest reason that TCU did as well as they did was that and Max Duggan's development. But now you have to to find a way to not just have a great season on, on the offensive line, but to build 
a unit that can compete for the next several seasons and has the depth to withstand um, injuries as they occur. You know, the, the TCU started pretty much the same guys all year and it made a huge difference, but you can't count on that annually. No, you can't. And I think part of the reason that Alana Lee caught on so well at TCU, one, he was a very talented kid, right? He's got a yeah. contract now with the Minnesota Vikings and that says a lot about him, but also he was with AJ Ricker at SMU. Yes. And so he yeah. could serve kind of as that translator between coach Ricker and the rest of the offensive linemen to say kind of, here's what he's really expecting. Here's what he wants. Not that Ricker has a problem just telling guys what he wants anyways, sure. but uh, Alon was, was kind of the guy who was kind of the mediator and the middleman the translator in all of that. And so I think that really helped him earn some of the trust and respect of those other guys along the offensive line, outside of just him being a talented center. Um, you know, when you're asking Steve Avila to move off of center to left guard, when you're trying to get the most out of your tackles, when you're rotating two guys at right guard, you know, one guy who's a constant at the middle of that line who understands what the offensive line coach wants from them is such a, a huge, huge asset. And I think that's probably, if there was one position along the offensive line, that's the biggest point of concern this year is center. Uh, and so we'll, we'll see if, if Deary or if someone else is going to come in and, and, and kind of take on that role. But I, I think that's kind of why Alon was so capable in just one year yeah. at TCU. Completely um, agree. You know, on, on the other side of the line, though, on the defensive line, Missouri State defensive lineman Tico Brown committed to TCU as well. That's another area where, where things are feeling a little bit thin right now for the Horn Frogs. They've been shuffling some guys around. Sony Misi obviously is back in the fold after missing most of last season with the mm-hmm. torn peck. Um, you've got, um, Dom Williams, who's been playing outside on the edge a little bit more recently. You've got some of these other guys as well that are kind of position shifting a little bit along that three-man front. Um, but Seiko is a big body who's going to be able to come in and help shore up some of that interior defensive line uh, play for the Horn Frogs. Because I think, you know, we don't want to talk about the national championship a whole lot, but if there was one really big glaring area of concern coming out of that game it was the inability of tcu's three-man front to get pressure on stetson bennett and so if you want to compete at that level that was an area of that that the frogs needed to address and i think tico starts to starts to do that for sure then on the offensive side of the ball um uh uh, dylan wright who's a guy who tcu originally pursued out of west mesquite back in 2019 um i I saw you know i saw that he had committed i was like oh i remember this this guy Mm -hmm. because i think we all fell in love with him as a recruit um before he eventually ended up um at minnesota but when you talk about losing quentin johnson and him being a first round draft pick well here comes in a six foot four 215 pound kid um that, that maybe can can fill some of that need um you know, you don't think of wide receivers being the greatest position position of need for TCU, but there's not a lot of experience of a number one type wide receiver on that roster right now. And so I think when you put a big body guy on the outside, like Dylan Wright, who was, uh, you know, 38 offers out of high school, four-star recruit, you know, just mm-hmm. an elite talent. I went to Minnesota. It's, it's been well, a really Texas, solid. Texas A&M and then Minnesota, right? Yeah, te- Texas A&M, then Minnesota. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily kind of like, fully reached his potential, but I think coming down to, to the Sunny Dykes offense um, and the Kendall Bryles offense, he's got a chance to be um, really, really great in this fit. And then just another talented piece, another big bodied receiver. Um, when you put with all of the other pieces and how they performed this spring, I think um, he's, he's going to have the chance to be a real impact player for the Horn Frogs. Yeah. And you think about it this way, seven of the top, nine receivers for TCU last year in 2022 are not on this roster anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're talking about Quentin, Tay, Darius are the obvious ones. Gunner 
Torquarius Spivey transferred back to, uh, to Mississippi State. Uh, Jordan Hudson hit the transfer portal. Kendry Miller was your ninth leading receiver last year, yeah. right? And so he's gone. So you're bringing back Savion Williams, Jared Wiley, and a lot of unproven talent. And so getting right in here is absolutely huge for a, a wide receivers room, like you said, is is pretty inexperienced right now. So very excited to see see him get on uh, at, at TCU and end up back in DFW. You know, we're seeing this trend with with him, with JoJo Earl, with with Tommy Brockermeyer, a couple of these other guys who are DFW products who go elsewhere, realize that maybe they want to be closer to home and now they're coming yeah. back to TCU. Some of these testimonials might start turning into kids making the decision just to stay home in the first place and yeah. stay at TCU and play their whole career in, in purple and white. And the more that Sonny Dykes and his staff hit on guys in the portal that are from DFW, the more that's going to help them on the recruiting trail in DFW with high schools as well. So this for is sure. another, op- another opportunity for, for the, for Dykes and the frogs to, to hit a home run with, Wright. Well, and Wright is one of those guys too, where, you know, I think he's had 17 and 18 receptions in, in his last two seasons, but if he can come and have a big season and it's just mm-hmm. another way for, you know, for Sonny Dykes to be able to say, Hey, you like, I mean, if you look at what he did with Quentin Johnston from, you know, his, his season a year ago to what he did this past year, doubled his career reception total. Um, if, if Wright can kind of live up to that potential he had coming out of high school, um, then mm-hmm. you can say we are, we have proven, especially with offensive skill talent, that if you come here, you will reach your potential Um, you will put up the big numbers. You will turn yourself into an NFL draft pick. I think that's just another layer to being able to keep local kids home for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then the, the last guy that's committed to the frog since our last podcast committed probably six hours after I've, I've finally edited and published that yeah. episode. So shout out to Oregon state's chance Nolan quarterback for the elite timing there uh, committing to the horn frogs um, and, and bolstering a pretty thin quarterback room joining uh, Chandler Morris and Josh Hoover in that space. This is a guy who's got experience um, who was a, a starter for Oregon state until he got a little bit injured and then ended up losing his job last year. Um, who is a good runner, a capable passer, and really fits, I think, what Kendall Bryles wants from his quarterback, who is a, not only a guy who's a good runner, but who's really capable of moving in the pocket, changing his throwing angles, and and getting the ball out quickly to guys who are at or behind the line of scrimmage. And so uh, this is a guy who I don't think is going to come in and necessarily compete and potentially be the starter, but he is another guy who is going to keep Chandler Morris on his toes who's going to contribute to the conversation in the quarterback room, help with film, help in the, in the weight room, in the locker room, on the field, uh, and just be another body that TCU has should Chandler Morris go down. Uh, obviously, we don't want that to happen. We don't hope that that happens, but uh, it's always good to have a backup plan. Yeah, I think I don't know that a lot of TCU fans were, you know, it didn't feel like this commitment necessarily moved the needle for them. But, you know, like for all the reasons that you said, getting him into that quarterback room is huge. Um, His experience, you know, if you think about uh, the injury history of Chandler Morris, which feels like we have to like, you know, mark the mark the thing every time we mention that because we bring mm-hmm. it up all the time but it is obviously a huge part of his history um and you think about you know josh Hoover had a great spring he was exceptional but he's never played a meaningful snap in college football right. you bring in a guy that's that started 12 games that has some experience that's won some big games um, he was very highly recruited by big programs out of the transfer portal because he brings that veteran savvy that experience and you know he does a lot of things really really well so yeah you know you maybe he's not the big name quarterback the the former five-star recruit that TCU fans were hoping to get in January but I think what he does like you said is he keeps 
he keeps pushing on Chandler. He keeps Chandler on his toes, but then he's also not necessarily going to beat down Chandler's confidence as you go into fall camp. He's going to push him the best he's going to be. He's going to be a great backup mm-hmm. if the need arises, um, but he's also just another veteran voice in the room that I think can be a great asset to this program. Yeah, I think he's going to be for Chandler Morris what Chandler was for Max as we saw yeah. the season progress last year, which was a guy who he could go to him on the sideline help him keep his head on straight, help him in the film room during the week, and then push him in practice to to be uh, who the team needed him to be. Yeah. So, you know, I think well, this, is, this is a good thing. That, you know, the other thing I'll say about him too is when you look at his other offers and opportunities, he probably had a better chance to start other places, but he's not coming to TCU to not compete for the starting job. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I think that that's, um, you know, you want that competitive environment in fall camp and you don't yeah. want to hand anything to to Chandler. You want him to go out there and earn it like he did a year ago. And, and I think that, um, you know, he's, Chance is going to give him a, a great opportunity to do that. Yes, absolutely. Um, moving on, uh, that I mean, we're going to keep hitting football news pretty much every episode because that's uh, the football news never stops. But uh, as we move on and kind of wrap up the last, last little segment here on the show this week, we're going to talk in uh, about what's going on with the hard court hardwood JD, frogs. What is going on with the hardwood frogs? If people are subscribed to the Patreon, if they're reading our articles, you kind of dropped in an interesting little nugget about Emmanuel Miller. And yes. I want to start there. And that's okay. what you had on the run sheet too. But that was kind of a, oh, and by the way, a little, little hint there that you gave us. But what have you learned about Emmanuel Miller? And he was a goner two weeks ago and not so fast, my friends, correct? Yes. So based on the folks I had talked to a couple of weeks ago, last time we recorded an episode, uh, I was fairly confident in saying that Emmanuel Miller was going to go on and test the professional waters um, and that he would not be returning to TCU, I think is, is kind of how I said it. And that's kind of what I had been told. Um, I, that still very well could be the case. But my understanding is that TCU is still pretty hopeful that he might return. Um, he did get an invite to the G League Elite Camp, which is essentially the G League Combine. Uh, 45 players get invited to that every year. That's happening this upcoming weekend on the 13th and 14th of May. Um, and that would give G League owners and scouts uh, an opportunity uh, and coaches to see him uh, perform a little bit. Um, and he could get an NBA, NBA Combine invite out of that and the NBA combine is the following weekend. Um, so, or I guess like five or six days later, not even a full week later. Um, so he's going to go through that process. He's going to go and be a part of this combine workout event for the G league this weekend. And, uh, I, I would fully expect him to make his decision pretty shortly thereafter about what he's actually going to do, whether that's pursue professional, basketball or come back to TCU for another year. Um, I know he's been on campus working out um, the last several weeks. I know that Damian Ball has been doing the same thing as well. Um, I don't know how much you read into that simply because these are guys that, I mean, that would be the, the logical place for them to be uh, is on campus in the middle of a semester. So, um, you know, I just kind of that, I don't know how much uh, you put in to that as far as, as trying to predict which way these guys are going to go. Um but as far as the folks that I've talked to at TCU, they're both, uh, they're not necessarily expecting to not have them on the roster next year. Now that makes recruiting a little bit more difficult yeah. when you're holding on to two scholarship spots for, um, uh, for those guys who may go pro. Uh, Cause then you're trying to backfill maybe a little bit later in the cycle than you want to, but the frogs are still really trying to find another big man, a legit center who can come in and shore up some of the front court 
woes that we saw specifically against Gonzaga in the second round of the NCAA tournament last year without Eddie Lampkin on the court. Uh, and so I think last time we recorded, Melissa, we talked about the South Florida kid, Russell Chewa, mm-hmm. who had been on campus, had a really good time. He ended up committing to Georgia. Um, I think there was a little bit less competition in, at the center spot uh, for the Bulldogs. And so he, he jumped at that opportunity. Also, it's a little bit closer to where he was going to school in, in Florida. Um, can't blame a kid for, for doing those things. But also, uh, late two weeks ago, I guess right before Chewa made his decision, another center came on the market who TCU was very interested in, and that's Warren Washington from Arizona State. Uh, Washington is a legitimate seven-footer. He blocked 57 shots in 33 games last year. Also had 52 assists and 33 starts last year, which is something I think that's really impressive for a legit seven-footer to have that kind of court vision and distribute to his teammates and, and help them score from where he is on the court. He had Average, a very good game against TCU. He had a, he had a good these, game. I think yeah. he had like 11 and 8 against and eight, TCU. Yeah. He averaged nine and a half and six and a half points and rebounds last year, almost two blocks per game, like we mentioned. Uh, really good footwork. Uh, he was on campus this week, uh, this past week, visiting for a couple of days um, and uh, really had a good time. Uh, you know, you, you can read the article I wrote on, on the Frogs Insider Patreon. Had a chance to to get a couple quotes uh, from him while he was on campus, um, and he talked a lot about liking Jamie Dixon, liking the system, liking the style, um, and looking for an opportunity to show off some of the stuff he hadn't really been able to um, to highlight as far as his abilities on the offensive end of the court are concerned. So, great rebounder, great shot blocker. And when you think about him talking about wanting to showcase his offense more as a guy who already was scoring close to 10 points a game, yeah. um, that's a really maybe uh, intriguing fit for the Frogs who still really do need someone who's who's a seven-footer on this team um, to pair with Xavier Cork and Asam Mustafa. So um, yeah. I, I think that's uh, the, the name to kind of keep an eye on right now. He is visiting Texas Tech this weekend. And there's um, a little bit less depth to compete with out there uh, for for more minutes, I think, for Texas Tech. But uh, TCU feels good about where they stand with him right now, and um, so that would be that would be a big addition for the Frogs if they can if they can land Washington from Arizona State. Well, you know, we, we talked a little about a little bit about this before we went on air, but you're you're running now up to your scholarship limit, and with the unknowns between Baugh and Miller, and then you know going hard after um, Washington, it, there's there's a likelihood that something's going to happen here and we obviously don't know what that's going to be are you under the impression that if uh washington does decide to transfer to tcu and both ba and miller come back they're going to find a way to make it work yes so i i asked that question this afternoon actually and we again we're recording this on sunday um i said you know if if, if would there be a spot if if um ba and miller both decide to come back and they, i was told explicitly we would have one more scholarship available if Baugh and Miller come back. So, um, you know, we'll see what that looks like. I, I got to go back and check my math again. Um, but uh, they they seem very intent on on getting Washington into the fold. And again, you know, this is still a, a situation where um, they don't know if Baugh and Emmanuel Miller yeah. are both coming back. Now they have to plan for varying scenarios, and this is obviously one that they're planning for. Um, but taking taking a commitment from Warren Washington right now 
uh, doesn't necessarily indicate that one or both of Damian Bond and Emmanuel Miller aren't coming back yeah. either. So I think there's, that's there's, there's still so much up in the air left as far as roster management is concerned. We're not going to have a clear, perfect picture of who's going to be playing for TCU basketball this season until maybe like the end of June, early July. Uh, and at that point, that's when guys are going to start to get on campus and, and work out. And we'll have a, a pretty firm picture at that point of, of who's going to be playing for the Frogs in 2023. Well, you know, one thing we don't talk about a whole lot with the transfer portal is, you know, as guys are free to come in and out, it does change um, the roster management perspective for the coaches as far as, you know, that that scholar reminding people that that scholarship is good usually for one year, not four. And so, uh, you know, it it does make hard decisions from a coaching perspective. But um, if you want to be a TC basketball program that isn't just making the NCAA tournament, but is eventually going to get to that second weekend, it does make some difficult decisions. And Jamie Dixon is charged with consistently improving this team. And if he has an opportunity to do so, um, you know, it's going to, it's going to be tough for whoever gets left on the outside of that. But um, that's with, with the way that the guys are so free to leave um, coaches are going to have to be making some of those difficult decisions too now. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. You know, I've had some conversations with folks. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give it all up on on this podcast right now, just because I don't want to overstep. And some of that stuff was, yeah. you know, off the record and and that kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they, they've got it. This is never an easy situation. Just finding out how you're gonna fill your roster up, and so they're, they, like I said, they're considering a bunch of different options, and um, just you know, they're gonna make it work, though. I mean, these are yeah. professionals. They do this every single year. Uh, I think TCU basketball specifically has shown that they're at a very good at working the portal in TCU's yeah. favor. Um, and so I, uh, you know, just at this point, it's just a matter of trusting coach Dixon and Benford and, and McNeely and, and Broussard and the rest of the guys on that staff and just uh, kind of letting, letting the chips fall where they fall and, and figuring it out from there. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, all, the one thing we do know is that this team could look dramatically different a couple months from now than, than it does today. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, as we get closer to the NBA draft, we'll start talking about kind of Mike miles and where he's projected to go. Um, mm-hmm. we're still, we're still, you know, a little over a month, month and a half away from that, um, being a reality, but it's going to be fun as he starts taking some visits and, um, he hits the NBA combine to see, see how he, he tests and, uh, where, where he might fall, um, you know, in, in that NBA draft, um, if he will be able to work his way up to being a late first round, early second round pick, or if we're going to be kind of holding our, our bated breath there towards the end. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I know that he's I know that he's still working out and getting ready and and that's all he can do at this point. And then it's it's up to the NBA teams to, yeah. to deem, you know, that they want to say what they want to spend a pick on him. Um, yeah. I, I have no doubt, though, that if similar to everybody that just got drafted or signed by NFL teams, that if you give Mike Miles an opportunity to yeah. show you what he can do, he's going to show you what he can do. Yeah, you won't regret uh, it. And, and you're not going to regret that uh, if you're if you're a GM for an NBA team. So you know, very excited to see where Mike lands. Um, I might put together some, I've been talking to a couple different folks about fits for him. I might put something together for the Patreon this week uh, for folks to read about teams, teams to keep an eye on as far as the Mike miles NBA draft sweepstakes are concerned. So um, look forward to that on the Patreon page this week, but Melissa, I think that will just about do it for this week's episode of frogs insider. Thank you guys for listening. We really do appreciate it. Again, you can find our work at patreon.com slash frogs insider. You can find this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. Just look for the frogs insider stream or the Republic of football network stream for Dave Campbell's Texas football. Um, We're very excited again to be a part of that network. 
and uh, just very, very thankful to the folks over at DCTF for reaching out and getting this thing rolling. So um, again, thank you for listening. Most tree bosser, Jamie Plunkett. We'll be back next week with another episode of Frogs Insider. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.